The underlying principle here is because I know that I'm looking to scale, I want to work with technology platforms that help me scale by being streamlined and automated. Getting paid more for your work upfront and without the hassle of tracking your billable hours or issuing invoice after invoice sounds like a dream scenario. But how exactly do you make that happen? Luckily, like so many other aspects of making a service business more efficient, there's an app for that. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. In our last few episodes, we've talked about some business design choices with pricing and payments. How switching to a value-based pricing model allows you to charge upfront. And being able to charge your clients upfront or automatically can eliminate a big chunk of your internal workflow. Today, we'll talk about software that can help you pull all of those pieces together. Once you've switched to value-based pricing, this is a tool that can help automate the process of onboarding your clients and taking payments. It's Practice Ignition. It's a software that does contracts and accepts payments, including recurring payments. The way it works is that you can load a library of services, basically a library full of templates for each item or service you'd charge a client for. And there's a library of terms or your standard contract language. Once you have those two set up, which if you have your standard packages built out is a snap, then you can create a proposal for a new client just by adding the services you want to sell them by picking them out of your list and adding them to the proposal. You choose how you want them to pay you, credit card or bank transfer, and then send the proposal along to your clients with a personalized message. Once you have the system set up, it takes about five minutes to create a proposal and send it. It also integrates with both Xero and QuickBooks Online to automatically create invoices for payments and reconcile the payments against the invoice so it really streamlines the whole process. Practice Ignition is a tool I use in my own business and with most of my clients because it makes onboarding a client and accepting payments so easy. I'm a certified Practice Ignition partner, and at the end of the show today, I'll tell you more about how you can get started with Practice Ignition and how to support Break the Ceiling at the same time. And I can also help you get set up with Practice Ignition, so stay tuned at the end of the show for that. My guest today has been using Practice Ignition for the last few years. Jamie Campbell is the co-founder and CFO of Tier 1 Services, which is a firm of outsourced year-round CFOs and complete accounting departments. Jamie and I chat about how she transitioned her firm from Bill.com and Microsoft Word contracts to Practice Ignition, and how that's impacted her workflow and ability to scale her firm. I also talk about some behind the scenes stuff about how I've built Practice Ignition into my own workflow at Scalespark, and we do a little live consulting with Jamie about how she might improve her workflow. All right, hi Jamie, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure, Susan, thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about what was going on in your business that made you decide to make the switch to using Practice Ignition. How were you running your contract and your payment process before that? I was using a bill.com for payments and I was using Word, Microsoft Word for contracts. And I actually didn't have a problem with it at all. Those, the systems and processes were working just fine. However, 
I'm, I'm always looking to streamline and automate wherever possible because my goal with my firm, my tactical goal is to scale and you can't scale if you're doing things manually. So I was, I'm always on the lookout for ways that I can streamline and automate. And when I heard about practice ignition, how it was a single platform for both proposals and payments, I instantly knew that I, d I had to look into it. And it was ultimately so worthwhile for me to have that, that opportunity to have a more automatic process and a more streamlined process that I went as far as to convert my own firm's accounting system so I could <laughs> integrate with practice ignition. I love that. So how <laughs> how did you really manage the transition with existing clients? You know, new incoming clients is easy because you they tell them know. this is the process and yes. they just assume that's always been the process. Right. But when you're transitioning your existing clients, how did you handle that transition with them? Um, it was really no big deal. I just, uh, with my tone of voice, made no big deal about it and said, we're using a new platform. I'm going to send you a link. Um, in some cases, I waited until contract renewal. So there was a bit of an overlapping period in which I was using both Bill.com and Practice Ignition. Um, because it was just easier to wait until contract renewal and say, you know, here's our contract for the next 12 months. Um, it's in a different, and I would say so, it's in a different format, we're using a new platform. And then when my voice, the tone of my voice says it's no big deal, then the client gets that it's no big deal. And in other cases, I didn't wait till contract renewal. And I just set them up and I said, I've literally copied and pasted the the proposal that we already have into this new platform that we're using. You can look it over if you like, which is fine. You know, I'm sending you the link. And if you can um, enter your payment information, I'm going to disable it from bill.com. It'll be a smooth transition. And that worked well in all cases except one when bill.com, like I stopped the payment. There was some kind of techno glitch with bill.com kept being active, even though I had started up with practice ignition. So. Mm. Um, I had to sort that out with bill.com. I was like, stop, no, stop. I said, stop. <laughs> no. But um, ultimately we got it sorted out. But the movement to practice ignition was smooth. There was just that one client out of all of them that was an issue with bill.com. And did you transition kind of everybody all at once? So you were exclusively using bill.com and then you transitioned everybody and now you're exclusively using Practice Ignition or are you still using other platforms for some clients? At this point, I'm no longer using bill.com for clients. However, I didn't transition everybody at once. So this was a couple of years ago now that we made the switch. Um, I didn't transition everybody at once. I did do a big effort but sometimes I just waited until contract renewal. Okay. And then I said, and, and our contracts don't all renew at the same time. Right. Um, so I, at that point, we were small enough that I could take it on a case-by-case -case basis. If we had, at the time, a larger number of clients, I would do everybody all at once and have meetings and communications and, and transitions. That's something that would be an effort that we would manage all at once. But... At the time, we were small enough to kind of handle it on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. And so how are you kind of packaging your services? Are you using kind of package things that are built out into Practice Ignition as 
essentially template services that you're repeating or are you um, using practice ignition to do a little bit of customization how how do you, have you approached um, I guess what you're selling in practice ignition mm. um, I approach practice ignition the same way I approach life I figure out the best practice for whatever it is that I want to do and consider it a default to streamline automate and save time however I don't do life in a box. And one of the things that I really like about practice ignition is that I can create those, that library of services. So my language, my services, my default, I create it. And I can click when I'm creating a proposal and use one, but I have the opportunity to then customize. I'm not changing the default template every time. The default is the default, but it pops up. And if I want to tweak it, change the wording, uh, in some way, remove a service, add an exclusion, vice versa. I can do that and I really enjoy that capability. So I like saving time by using the defaults that I've set up for myself and then I like being able to not lose the customization ability. The one thing that I do in my service offerings that is markedly different from what I did pre-practice ignition is that I no longer offer options for the client to choose from. Mm. When I was doing proposals in Word, I would often say, okay, we've had our conversation. Here's three scopes of services that we could work with, a small, a medium, or a large. Let's call it for the sake of conversation. And I would say, this is the one I recommend for you. However, these are three options, three different scopes, three different price points. Um, practice Ignition doesn't allow for that. And you could say, well, you know, you can make three different proposals, but I'm actually happy rolling with no longer offering three options because you know what I'm not here I'm not running my firm to have anybody take orders from the client we are here to serve however when we get into the sales call and really do a super deep dive not just like what do you need yes we can provide that here's the cost but we do a deep dive and we ask a lot of questions not not only about what's working and what's not working but where they are now and their deepest most cherished dreams about where they want to be and we craft a scope of services that in our best and highest belief are the most efficient and effective in getting them from point A to point B i am no longer interested in offering options to a prospective client I give my all in the sales call. I give my best recommendation in the scope of services. And sure, we can discuss it a little bit because I'm always open to, to massaging and tweaking, but this isn't, a, this isn't a buffet. You are getting my best and you can take it and profit from it or leave it. Yeah, I think there's, there is real value to that. I've done the same thing. Um, in my services where you offer options and then it always seemed that the conversation went, well, what do you think I should do? <laughs> and I would say the one that I would have sold them anyway. And yes. so it seems like it's easier to just skip that step and then they don't yeah. have to have that internal, like, what decision should I make? I don't really know what kind of accounting services I need. <laughs> um, can you just Tell me, have you yeah. noticed um, anything differently with sales prospects in terms of how they kind of take that, here's your package versus here are some choices? Have you noticed any oh, yeah. differences with them? Absolutely. Um, it's, I manage power dynamics very carefully. 
in the marketing and sales process. And obviously during the course of the engagement, but I manage the power dynamics carefully in the marketing and sales process as well. And invariably in the sales process, when I present those three options, somebody goes for the least expensive one. Yep, even though it's probably not the best option for them. Yeah, exactly. Or they take, even if I present three options, even if the smallest option is the very best and then I add two premium layers on top of it, they take the smallest one and try to negotiate it down. Mm -hmm. And setting the power dynamic like that, that's A, focused where the value is focused on money, not how much can I make, but how much am I spending on this, that is not the right tone or tenor for our engagement and our work together. And secondly, it has the power in the wrong place. I don't believe that power dynamics should always be one-sided. I don't believe that the client should always hold the power or that I should. It really needs to be fun and like a dance and fairly distributed and bouncing back and forth. But to have them trying to negotiate down the money from the very beginning and trying to strike areas of scope is not a useful or enjoyable way to kick off this relationship versus I give my best, I lay it out, and I say, this is the very best, this is the, the plan that I have laid out for you of getting from point A to point B. They're, they're receiving something from me, which means they've got the power because I'm serving them, and I've got the power because I'm saying take it or leave it, and this is the scope and this is the money. So the power is much more evenly balanced when I present one scenario And it really sets the tone for a mutually enjoyable and mutually profitable relationship. Absolutely. And I think particularly in the kind of work that you do being really an advisor to the company, that is something that can start as early as I am advising you that these are the services (laughs) that work best for you. So I can see that using it as a a real client touch point and setting that expectation for how the relationship is going to go forward um, has so many impacts on the rest of the relationship. You nailed it, Susan. I'm an advise. I'm an advisor from the very beginning, and at this point, they're getting a plan from me for free. I mean, yep. by the time we've gotten to the proposal stage, they've laid down a fully refundable upfront deposit for that proposal, but it's fully refundable. So it's basically free if they decide to not go forward with me. Mm-hmm. They still have a plan that they can walk away with and implement on their own. So they've, they've received a deliverable. It's, it's being an advisor from the very beginning. You, you nailed it. No, oh, I love that. So were there any particular impacts other than um, choosing which packages to offer that you saw this transition making with your sales or your proposal process? Has that changed significantly other than the option not existing? (laughs) It's a lot easier. So we have a sales team now. My firm has 12 people in it and about roughly half of the practitioners in my firm are also trained in our sales process. And it would have been a lot harder. Um, it's It's a lot easier using practice ignition because there's less manual work to do. And there, it's just, it's more streamlined with the with the service library. And I don't have to tell anybody which engagement, which word, engagement letter and word to go look up to kind of copy off of. They've got the entire service library right there. Um, so it's a lot easier for me to have a sales team 
and give them two hours of training on practice ignition between the technology and our processes around it, then it would have been continuing with Word and Bill.com. Not to mention that it's less work for me because they can execute the payments. For example, if we're using the estimate blocks in practice ignition, rather than an automatic monthly recurring engagement, when they complete the next project milestone and it's time to bill out for the next milestone, I don't have to get involved. My, the, the engagement manager, the person who brought in the engagement, can get that client's authorization in writing, which is just part of our process. Like, hey, may I have your authorization to bill out the next, whatever, $2,000 for the next retainer, let's say. They can go to practice ignition and execute that um, without me having to give them access to our financial systems. They can, you know, they can just go in and execute that. So it's less work for me, which means my firm is more scalable. No, I like that. So how are you using practice ignition as kind of part of your onboarding process? Do you have it? What do you have it connected to? How how does that workflow look for your firm? We have it connected to our accounting system. And that's the only thing we have it connected to. And now that you asked me that question, I'm wondering, what else could I connect it to? <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll, I guess I'll turn it a little bit on myself and talk about how I use Practice Ignition because I do the same thing. Um, and one of the ways that I use Practice Ignition is to uh, kind of streamline that whole uh, client onboarding process. So I actually have Practice Ignition connected to Zapier, which is a fabulous um, kind of automation platform that allows me then to go create all of the folders on Google Drive. Um, so I use it to set up all of my standard client folders and documents based off of uh, it's a, if it's a specific kind of project. You know, if there's some templates that I have that go with that, they get created in a um, in the client folders. So it's all ready to go for me. Um, I also use it to trigger some initial communication like hey here's some onboarding information this is how the process is going to go um, that sort of thing so i was just curious if you had any of the um, kind of other I, I find practice ignition to be a really great start of kind of triggering an automated workflow so now that you're bringing up some new possibilities for me i would really like to look into whether zapier can create our standard new client folders in SharePoint where our firm uses Office 365 and we use SharePoint for our secure document storage. Yep. And I would really like to know, oh my gosh, let me just go to town here. What I would love <laughs> is to set up a zap so that our the new client folder appears with the three standard subfolders in SharePoint, that the engagement letter gets printed and automatically filed in the first of the three subfolders, that a a toggle, um, the client gets created in toggle, yep. that the um, tracking category for this client appears in zero. <laughs> um, oh, and that in Pipedrive, a new quote unquote deal gets created, or no, the deal is automatically marked as one, and in our engagement pipeline, engagement status pipeline, which is not for sales, but we use it to track ongoing engagements like overall status as red, yellow, or green, or ready for the quality assurance call, that the the block gets automatically created in pipe drive and it gets put in status green. 
Uh, I have no idea if any of that is possible. I, I think almost all of that is possible, actually. What? Um, the only thing that I think you can't do using practice ignition as the trigger is uh, the zero tracking categories. You can't create if you're you know you want to create a new essentially category under your you know tracking category of client. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can create the zero integration. Doesn't allow you to create the. Mm -hmm tracking category but i think everything else that you described is actually possible what? so that's why i like <laughs> i love using practice ignition because they have a really robust zapier integration oh uh, that they just actually made even more robust a few months ago that <laughs> allows you to use it really at, as the automation of onboarding for everybody um, so that your client onboarding process really can be very, very automatic, particularly if you're using other tools that have a really strong Zapier integration. So mm -hmm. one of the things that's a limiter is really what does the other end allow you to do? So like on Xero, <laughs> you know, their integration allows you to do a lot of the common things like create invoices or yeah. market things as paid, yeah. uh, those sorts of things. But back end creation of things like tracking categories isn't yeah. just isn't something that they've allowed but for almost everything else you know uh pipe drive toggle um the microsoft stuff doesn't necessarily work as well with zapier as google drive at least in my experience but it's getting a lot better um, but all of those are options for the other end of Zapier. So practice nice. ignition for me i guess my two yeah. biggest triggers in my personal workflow and a lot of the stuff that i do with clients are actually Calendly, which is a scheduling platform mm -hmm. that, you know, when a client books a call, uh, you can trigger a lot of workflow, like create the um, the deal in your CRM, those sorts of things. So Calendly is my biggest trigger. And then Practice Ignition is my second kind of mm -hmm. that I use for starting that workflow. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I don't know how Zero would even know you know, the tracking category anyway, there's no place to enter it into practice ignition, which is yeah. actually one of, one of the, one of my gripes with practice ignition, because I can't tell it what tracking category I'm using in zero for a mm -hmm. given proposal. So every time it pushes the invoices over, like from time to time, I have to go in periodically and, and categorize. Yeah. And add the tracking category to everything. And you can't even use really find and recode for that. I mean, you just have to open and do it one by one because every client is different. Mm. And every one has their own um, tracking category. So the only way I can even use find and recode is if I don't do it for like a year, and then I save time. Yep. <laughs> by doing do them it in all bulk. Once. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit of a gripe with practice edition, but a small price to pay. And um, boy, I really need to look into these apps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so how about on your going kind of going back to how you all are using practice ignition? How about your invoicing and payments process? How has that changed from what you were doing in terms of like each step? How has that really changed how you're approaching doing that now? Um, most of it has not changed. There's only one aspect of it that has. What what hasn't changed is that we still we still get paid in advance. We still pull the payment automatically from our client's account. In practice ignition, we do off. So as compared to Bill.com, uh, in Bill.com, we didn't. Ha we only pulled from our clients' bank accounts. 
um, we didn't offer the credit card option because if you turned it on, it was on for everybody. Right. You can do one or the other. Exactly. Whereas practice ignition, you can do it on a one-off basis. And I'm willing to, to make the onboarding process easier if a client wants to give a credit card, like for the first payment or for a one-time project. Yeah, I'm not going to you know nickel and dime over the fees. But if a firm is going to pay us $7,200 a month, I'm paying a dollar for ACH. Yep. <laughs> so I like... I like that in practice ignition, I can be flexible with the payment source. Um, but by and large, the process is the same. We get paid in advance. We pull from our client's bank account or credit card. And in the case of a project, we, we don't make that pull until we get written authorization from the client, which is a lot easier to get when there's still work to be done as compared to if you're chasing receivables. Yep. So we... We don't have receivables, we get written authorization, we execute the payment, all of that is the same in both systems. The only thing I would say that's substantially different besides the payment source is that, and this is this is a pain about practice ignition, um, but if I don't know how many times I'm gonna be charging a client, most of the time I know how many times. We'll have a project and we'll agree that you know, 50% up front, 30% when we deliver version one, and 20% when we when we all agree that it's done. But sometimes you have projects, and I, I don't know how many times I'm gonna charge. So I, and, and you can't change, you can't add estimate blocks to the proposal and practice ignition once the thing is signed. So I'm either in the awkward position of putting in way too many estimate blocks, you know, just in case, mm -hmm. but then having to explain to the client, hey, I know I put in 50 estimate blocks, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden this is gonna cost more, I just don't know, and my app isn't flexible, <laughs> and then I look like a, you know, like a dummy for, like how, really, I thought you guys were technologically forward, why are you using an app that, that doesn't work for you? Like, it's, it's awkward, it's a misaligned conversation. Most of the time, to this point, there's been such goodwill in the relationship, that clients don't care, but it still feels awkward and misaligned. Or I go to option B and I create, if I run out of estimate blocks, I create a second proposal and accept it internally just with more estimate blocks. Okay, I get my money. But if there's a client dispute for any reason, whether it's you know with, with grounds or without grounds, now I have an internally accepted proposal, which is, meaningless and, and weak in any kind of negotiation or um, dispute resolution with the with the bank. Yep. And I don't want to have that. So then I'm left with option three, which is to create a second proposal and have the client accept it, which is more time that they need to use, you know, and just the wording that says in professional terms, you know, the other one. Yeah, this is like just this like is that. the second one. Right. So like none of the options are good. What kinds of that I, I'm curious because I've not run into that before. What kinds of projects are you going into where you're not quite sure when you're going to charge or how much you're going to charge um, that you're not doing that kind of conversation up front? Uh, on occasion, we work on an hourly basis. And one of the reasons why we would work on an hourly basis on occasion is if the client wants to be flexible with scope. Okay. And just says, you know, we ha we have an overall scope of service, but it can be flexible, and um, I mean we have that with with a couple of clients, and 
We don't know how many times we're going to charge over the course of the year, but but they know that whenever they reach out to us, we're here for them and we'll do a thing. We'll charge up front or on rare exception after the fact. You know, so if, if we're charging hourly and there's, it can be pretty broad, like, hey, let's just, you know, let's work together over the next couple of years. Whenever, whenever we need to, we'll reach out to you. That's fine. Like, I don't know how many ch- times we're going to charge. Okay. So I guess hourly engagement is, is the best, with a flexible scope is, is my best answer. That's when you would do that. Okay. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how you ended up switching your accounting system as a result of wanting to use practice ignition. Yes. Um, are there, can you tell me a little bit more about that transition and kind of what drove you to that? But also, are there any other software systems that you ended up switching because of this process? We didn't switch any other software systems. Um, I mean, we stopped using Bill.com, but yeah, we, we were using QuickBooks desktop. I was happy with it. I got all the business intelligence that I needed. I mean, I was getting crazy business intelligence. <laughs> and I was, I was fine with QuickBooks desktop, but the allure of having the proposals and payments in one, I, and I saw the, the scalability of that and knowing where we were going with our firm, how it has to be scalable so I can empower my team members and begin to step away. That that allure was so strong that it was really no question at all to convert to zero. Um, and although I lost some of the data that I had in QuickBooks desktop, like not the data, but the the reporting capabilities, and I had to set up those new reporting capabilities more manually in zero, like in QuickBooks desktop, I had a thing like I could get, I could easily get um, gross revenues by referral source, gross revenues by state, and some other things. In Zero, I have to create some templates in Excel in order for me to get that, but small price to pay. And the conversion to Zero itself was a breeze because the quality of the QuickBooks desktop file was <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were no blips there were no um there were no issues in the conversion whatsoever i did the conversion and you know what it worked (laughs) and then i was up and running and i timed it because you know you get two years of of details yeah so i timed it i did it on like december 29th (laughs) yeah the end of the year is always so busy for conversions because you're trying to like sneak just right at the end Yeah, so the conversion went really smoothly and we were up and running in no time. It was really it was really quite smooth. Awesome. So, how talk to me a little bit about the impact that this workflow transition had on you as the business owner, on your team, um how, what kind of impact did it have on your capacity for scaling or scaling your team? Talk to me a little mm. bit about how that felt to you as one of the owners positive. (laughs) Yeah. In a nutshell, we can scale more easily. I can step away. I train my team members. There's a lot of streamlining and automation. That means there's less for them to do, which means they all have more time to sell or because they're also all of them practitioners, more time for their billables or more time for whatever they want to do with their 24 hours in a day. And I can step away and still very easily and all in one platform, take a look at what's happening with the proposals instead of like opening up 
20 different Word files and looking at proposals, I can go into practice ignition and go click, click, click. I mean, it's, it's less time for everybody, which means we can scale and I can step away. And I cannot get my firm to the size that I need to get it to if I'm in there up to my elbows. Yep. So we've been hiring like crazy. We just hired three more people, a CFO consultant and two controller consultants. So we have a firm of 12 now, about half of which are on our sales team as well. And none of that would be possible if I had to do all this stuff myself, if it were harder for me to manage and supervise and coach and train and support. I mean, it's really given us um, an important turbo boost in our ability to scale because we're, we're scaling the sales process Mm-hmm. Not just having really great billables, we swear, you know, it's, I mean, everything, <laughs> everything is really, um, every bit of streamlining and scalability that exists means that we can all make more money more efficiently, make more of an impact on the world without increasing our required time commitment. And that's how you scale. Absolutely. Yeah, that's perfect in a nutshell. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't yet? I do have... Uh, regarding practice ignition, I don't think it's a perfect platform. It's not. Um, yeah. I don't like that the terms library is not as, it doesn't work like the service library at present. Um, I can't click on terms and then tweak them for an engagement. I have to make a copy of in the library itself and then tweak it. And that, that makes it harder for me to review someone else's, um, you know, the, a member of my sales team, it makes it harder for me re- to review because there's more stuff for me to have to click on. Um, and we end up with an overstuffed terms library. So there, you know, there, there are some things that I'm less than happy about. It's also, you can't issue a refund at any amount other than the amount that was actually charged. Mm. So if someone paid a thousand dollars, let's say in a retainer, but you only use 750 of it, I have to use a different platform entirely to issue the 250 back. Yeah. So there are some things that are a pain about it. And what that all boils down to, though, is that it takes more time because it's something that has to be done manually. So the, the underlying principle here is because I know that I'm looking to scale, I want to work with technology platforms that help me scale by being streamlined and automated. So that's where that's the underlying principle for me. And wherever technology can do that, I'm interested. And wherever it can't, I take caution and say, if I'm going to use this, it's going to be for a limited time until somebody else comes out with something better or until you guys do a fix. So they're they're pretty responsive as an organization, though. That's and they just closed like a huge fundraising series. Mm-hmm. Um, and took, I think, several, it, it might have been in the Bs, might have been millions, um, but they just closed a really big fundraising round like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think we'll start seeing a ton of those kind of improvements that I agree with you. It's not a perfect platform. There's still scenarios that if you don't have a clean, defined package or library of services, or if you mm-hmm. need to tweak terms, um, or if you have some unusual billing practices, you know, you're not doing exclusively upfront kind of billing or monthly recurring billing, Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's not necessarily, it's 
there are workarounds that you have to come up with. But I yeah. also, at least for me, thinks it's kind of the best thing out there right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I, I had that feeling with a lot of the technology where I'm like, oh, this is like 85, 90% of the way there to being perfect. But yeah. there's just that last little bit that it's still the best mm -hmm. thing that's available. But it could just be so much better if it was just a little bit more flexible. And I think we're, I think we're getting there. Um, I agree. I agree. And you know, I was, I gave them some feedback recently. The app prompted me to give feedback and I said, yeah, I, I will in. give you the feedback. <laughs> so I did. And I was, I was gratified that I got an email back saying, tell us more about this. And so I did. And the conversation continued. And I was, I was really happy about this. Like, yeah, you know, I'll take the time to tell you more because I feel like you might do something about it. And then I stopped the process because the next time they wrote back, it was like, hey, we're going to put you in the hands of such and such who is at a lower level. Hmm. And that was a huge turn. Like, really? I just got downgraded? No. So I actually stopped the feedback process at that point. Like this person just got promoted and, you know, like, yeah, let's, let's keep the conversation going then. If you got promoted, let's, you know, I want to talk with that person. But yeah, so I was, I was disappointed with that. But, um, but, you know, they have a Facebook group where I like the fact that users are helping each other. Sometimes they're responsive in the Facebook group and sometimes they're not. So maybe with this round of hiring, they'll have some people. That's I, I think the, the plan is to hire a lot more staff because essentially, you know, the last couple of years, they've pretty much been essentially a bootstrapped company with really lean um, hmm. staff focusing on getting kind of the minimum viable product. And yeah. so it's been interesting to watch their journey. And I'm expecting I am expecting to see big things from them mm. in in the near future as they have all of these resources that they never had to expand because i think um guy pearson who's the ceo i think he's he's one of the founders um he's become really somebody who is starting to become a little bit of a thought leader in the accounting world that is really being very vocal about this sort of operations type stuff and mm -hmm. i think practice ignition is starting to play a bigger role and so i think I, at least for me i expect them to kind of lean into that coming forward that could be wrong but <laughs> well you know what uh let's let's put it this way i've learned to trust your judgment <laughs> well thank you <laughs> so I think that's a, a great note to end on. Where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about what you do? Sure. Um, one way to find me is to um, connect with me on Facebook. My handle is jcampbellcpa. Another way is you can email me if you have any questions or requests, jcampbellcpa at tier1services.net. That's T as in tango, I-E-R-O-N-E services.net. Um, we have an online learning center, which can be found at learning.tier1services.net. And also a great way to find me um, if you are a Facebook user, I have a group called Excel Accelerated, which features a fast motion brief um, Excel videos on intermediate and advanced topics. And I take requests. So that group actually filled up fairly quickly. I mean, I was getting 150 people a week when I started the group up uh, a couple of months ago. So those are all um, really good ways to connect with me. And um, I appreciate the opportunity, Susan. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this Excel group because, you know, <laughs> I learned I learned all of my good best Excel tricks from you. So 
Thank you. <laughs> I'll have to go check out the group. Thank you so much for taking the time for the interview today. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Go break the ceiling. <laughs> Practice Ignition isn't a perfect tool, and it's not the only tool out there either. But from my experience, it's one of the only standalone tools with all this functionality. Something like PandaDoc will handle the contract and accept one-time payments, and it will create invoices in your accounting software if you're on a high enough plan, but it doesn't do recurring payments well, and it won't reconcile those payments inside your accounting tool. For smaller agencies, Dubsado or 17 Hats will take care of a lot of this process. It'll send contracts and invoices, but it's normally up to the client whether or not they want to sign up for auto pay. And you're stuck in a subpar project management system, which depending on your accounting system, it doesn't integrate with. So it can create some duplicate work on the accounting side. But even being imperfect, Practice Ignition can seriously streamline and automate your proposal, onboarding, invoicing, and payment processes, and compress all of those into a single step. For Jamie, the switch ended up being a key part of her being able to scale her team and her sales process and to ultimately grow her firm. If you're ready to get started with Practice Ignition, just head to scalespark.co slash practice ignition to start a free trial. And if it's something that you'd like to implement, but you don't have the bandwidth to do it yourself, I'd be happy to help. Let's talk about how implementing upfront billing and value-based pricing using Practice Ignition can boost your profit, streamline your workflow, and make your clients happier too. Head to scalespark.co and book a free call to chat about what that might look like for your agency. And make sure you don't miss next week's wrap up to our pricing and payments theme with Rita Berry. We're gonna talk about the downstream effects of value-based pricing and how it helped Rita grow her firm and have it become more of a joy to run. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. Our theme music is Feel So Fly by The Unders. 